0: Welcome to Almost Famous, the podcast where I explore the subject of fame by talking to people who've experienced it themselves and ask them how it has affected their own journey as well as the lives of those around them. My guest today is actor and podcaster Paul Denan. Paul is perhaps best known for playing Sol Patrick in Hollyoaks between 1997 and 2001. He then appeared as a contestant on the first series of ITV Celebrity Love Island in 2005 and appeared again in 2006. Paul has also appeared on numerous other shows, including ITV's Test Drive My Girlfriend, Callum Fran and Dangerous Danan and Crime Stories, as well as The Kevin Bishop Show and Celebrity Big Brother on Channel 4 and Channel 5, respectively. Paul now has an amazing podcast called Paul Danan's Morning After, which I can highly recommend to any of you out there listening. So I'd like to give a huge almost-famous welcome to Paul Danan. How are you, Paul? Hey, yeah, I'm really good, thank you. How are you? Mate, I'm brilliant. Thanks so much for coming on. I always ask my guests, uh, what did you make... What did you make of your intro? Uh, we talked about it a little bit before and there were a few little wrong in there, weren't there, let us know.
1: Uh, to be honest, yeah, no, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, it was all great. Um, Test Drive My Girlfriend was actually a show that I was my my own show uh, that they made for me uh, for ITV2 and um, basically, yeah, I, I, I was really proud of it because I've never, you know, had my own TV show before and it was about dating, um, uh, I had to date girls and then set them up with my guys so I had a a group of guys that I had to go around all over the country to find the right girls for them. And, um, but before they actually got to, uh, to date them and them uh, themselves, um, I, I had a, a little test drive first and, um, and then I would see, see who would be most suited to, to who. And, um, yeah, it was a very, uh, it's quite a fun show. And um, yeah, so that, that that's it really. Um, and no, the rest of it was really good. And um, yeah, all of it's true. So well done. <laughs>
0: Brilliant uh, yeah I will admit sometimes I do uh, I take a little uh, t- a little look at Wikipedia Um, interesting you talked about um, the format of that show in my recollection um, obviously I'd seen you a bit on Hollyoaks but then also when you went on to that first series and then as you said second series of Celebrity Love Island you kind of got this reputation as a as a kind of Lothario dating Lothario and is that really why you got that kind of format and how did you feel about um, that becoming your reputation at that point in your career?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I um, I was in a long-term relationship for four years when I was in Hollyoaks, and, um, you know, unfortunately, because of, like, the commuting and back and forwards and everything, it just, it was a shame that it didn't end up working out. I was engaged and everything, and, um, yeah, I was really um, gutted about that. And I think because uh, when Celebrity Love Island came, you know, I was single, and I just kind of you know, had this chance to, to date again and to court, uh, so old school saying that, but you know, mm-hmm. to court girls. And, and, um, once they gave me a few, uh, tipples, um, I was kind of like, <laughs> um, on one to, 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 you know, to find love, to find romance. And, um, I call it luff, uh, L U because it's not quite love and it's not lust. It's a bit in, in between. And, um, sure. and, and, you know, and I think, um, in a way it was kind of like another addiction where it like, you know, girls can suddenly be like the, you know, uh, the thing that I, I, I loved and, and you know I love I love girls and I love girls loving me and, and I love to have fun and, and I think there were so many beautiful girls on there and I just wanted to you know to see who I'd like so I kind of was like a little bit too flirty maybe um at some point.
0: No I don't think that's possible I remember it making for really amazing TV mate. We'll definitely get into um the subject of addiction a bit further down the line. I uh, just wanted to ask as we are in these are the isolation episodes of Almost Famous we're in the COVID lockdown how is that affecting you uh what are you up to has it affected your career uh, at all have you lost work from it yeah
1: well I mean you know it's uh it's a, a blooming sad situation you know that's going on but I'm really trying to use it as a positive so I'm not calling it lockdown I'm calling it creative town and and for me it, it had to be that where I decided to um to go uh every day with a with a new episode of my podcast the morning after and 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 actually have guests on because you know it's so uh, lucky that you can find these guests quite easily because they're all at home so um uh, for me I, I've, I've been able to get some really big names like you guys have because i think um you know uh, everyone's at home and they all want to work and you know i suppose it is like a you know getting hired for a little job um uh, so so I'm really doing that that's keeping me going a um, bit of exercise, a lot of recovery and also um, spending time with my family because I met my mum and dad's but the, the the saddest thing is i I can't see my son because he's with his mum and and like um it's just been really tough emotionally but i'm really trying to stay upbeat as much as i can and hopefully when the day comes you know it will mean so much more um but it does get me down some days I, i must admit but i'm i'm trying to really you know use it as a positive
0: yeah mate that's that's um I don't have any kids, so you know, I it didn't even cross my mind that we'd get into that kind of realm. But I can totally imagine how hard that must be. And actually, it makes me think of how, at the beginning, when they were announcing lockdown, the government announced uh, lockdown. Uh, the question was asked of of. Um, of the government minister or what about people who are in relationships but don't live together and she said oh well maybe this will be a a good test for their relationship and i just thought you know what of course health and safety is the most important thing but that's such a flippant thing to say and and people who are in situations like you which is which is even harder where you can't cross the divide um that must be really difficult i hope you're you know you're facetiming regularly and 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 getting your fix that way at least
1: i am but you know uh, if i'd be really honest um I mean, he's only four, but um, he's so used to seeing me on the FaceTime, which he hates because he wants to actually touch me when, you know, over the years, unfortunately, I've been in uh, treatment or or whatever, or I've been away working, that I think he's just fed up with it. And then now, sod's law, he's having to have that kind of relationship with me again. And um, I think the poor boy just doesn't really understand. It's like... You know, he has a father, but through a phone and he just he he kind of can get quite annoyed and frustrated with that.
0: Yeah, of course. It probably makes no sense to him at all. Um, Fingers crossed, mate. I'm I'm hopeful that over the next uh, week or so, they're going to announce at least a slight relaxation where um, families can see their relatives again. Uh, and and I'm assuming you'll be straight there.
1: I will absolutely, but um, you know, because I'm living with my mum and dad, my dad's quite um, high, high. Uh, he's got the letter and all that, which they would send to to people that um, are, are most vulnerable. And, uh, it, it would, it still would be quite difficult going there, and because you don't know if the kids. Uh, I've got it and they don't even know they've got it and stuff like that. That asymptomatic, and So it's just, it's a real tricky one, this stuff, you know? It
0: is, it is. Um, you know, at the moment, I think, like you said, you're, you're a great example of, of people thinking positively and, and I'm trying to do the same. I'm um, going to bring it back round to the subject of fame as this is Almost Famous and that's what we talk about. A question that I ask all of my guests, some people find it easy to answer, others not so much. Paul Danan, are you famous?
1: Uh, unfortunately, yeah. Uh,
0: you say unfortunately. Tell me more about why it's unfortunate in your in your example.
1: Um, because I never, I never did my job to be famous. I did it because I enjoy it, and it's what I'm good at, and it's a craft. And I think sometimes fame can be a real, um, you know, it can it can be a bit of an imposition because, uh, you know, there you don't really get to do things there's not really a private life anymore I suppose um look I, I I love people uh knowing me and knowing my stuff and and when people are nice it's great but people can be sometimes dicks and and you know when when you've got like I don't get it a lot to be honest I get a lot of kind of you're a ledge mate you're a legend yeah but you know when they kind of like think that they can touch you and put their arm around you and give you a kind of like you know I don't know, sometimes people even took my hat off and shit, and I'd be really like, oi, you know, do you like I'm not your public possession, you know, like, uh, it, it, you feel a bit like, um, I don't know, like like a little puppet, like, you know, and you've got to do what they say, and then if you don't, suddenly they, uh, you know, they go, oh, who do you think you are, mate? Like, what well, do you think you're fucking someone special or something? It's like, well, man, you're the one that come up to me. You're the one that wanted the picture. you you know, and it, and you can never say no because, not that I ever would, but there are some people that can, you know, come up to you when, you know, you're in the middle of a, a date or you're in the middle of a, a business meeting or, you know, or like you're obviously, you know, just trying to have a bit of relaxation time, reading the paper or, you know, whatever. And I think some some people can. Um, yeah just think that oh eating dinner you're at a restaurant and you're eating and 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 like you know they they think that it's okay just to uh, have whatever they want from you um like oh can you phone my girlfriend or can you just phone my mum and I'm just gonna call my mum and can you leave a video message or yeah like people take the piss of it, you know yeah
0: totally and I-, I listened to your um the morning after your brilliant podcast uh, the episode with Danielle Westbrook and you talked a bit about being at the same theatre school which theatre school was that again yeah Sylvia Young yeah so um I just was intrigued based on what you you just said about getting into acting because you wanted to be good at your craft, successful. And you spoke to Daniela a bit about that as well. I wondered whether, um, can you um, kind of find your way back to when you were at uh, Sylvia Young and and thinking about what your ideal career as an
1: actor then would have been
0: and how that has differentiated from what your career is?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I I think, um, you know, my vision back then, and it still is, was to, um, to be in proper Hollywood movies. Um, and hence the reason why I went out to LA and lived there for three years. And, you know, I still have a great manager. We managed James Gandolfini. Um, Amazing. and and he also manages uh, Chris North, and he's got some great people um, basically yeah some this mark Armstrong he um he he's a great great guy a great manager and I, and I'm so lucky to, to be with him and um you know I think my vision was to to go and do that and I was so close at one point um I got offered the role in cheaper by a dozen with Steve Martin um to play the boyfriend and mm-hmm. then asked Ashton Kutcher um, was a friend of the director because he had just directed him on Just Married with uh, Brittany Murphy and they they gave him the part but then he bumped into Ashton just before we were about to film and said to Ashton, "Um, look, I've got this English guy to do this part as the boyfriend with... um, Hilary Duff um, and it's Steve Martin do you want to do it because he knew that if Ashton was in it as well it would you know be even though they've got Steve Martin so it's going to sell anyway and uh, did you fancy just doing it it's not a big part and Ashton just went yeah yeah fuck it why not mm. and uh, so then I get the call which was like going to be the biggest you know thing of my life to say oh I'm really sorry but like it's not going to happen now like, there were so many of those times so I've never given up and I I will still I think I'm going to go back out there next year um but but I do believe that doing the reality TV stuff was not where I expected to go and that has in a way hindered my um my my vision.
0: Yeah so how how do you bounce back then from from situations like that where you you know you've got a a quite solid dream for you've had for a lot of years something you want to do you want to work towards you're, you're really passionate about and you get so close and then it's kind of stripped taken away from you how have you found it bouncing back from that has that been really hard
1: um yeah i mean it has it was a lot harder i've, I've accepted it more now and i think that's where the fame really came in was not through four years of Hollyoaks, working every single day really hard work you know like sometimes real solid hard work um as an actor and then and then suddenly you just go and sit on an island or sit in a house uh for for a month or six weeks and you're 10 times more famous um like literally you know like ridiculous Michael Jackson type fame like you know when the first celebrity love island I, I come out of that and it was just just too much and and for me I I kind of didn't really like it. I liked it, but I didn't like it because it. I thought this is what I want, but actually, when I got it, I didn't, and and I I um, got scared by it, and um that's when I started to go a bit downhill and isolate.
0: Yeah. So you've you've talked openly on your podcast, uh, and I've read some articles about your troubles with addiction and stuff. I'm I'm intrigued to know whether you think it was that kind of um you know, fame slash uh, interest in the public eye that that kind of really exacerbated, led to that becoming a huge problem? Or do you think it's something that you would have been, potentially, you would have gone down the route of anyway had that never come along?
1: Yeah, I think it was already there, man, to be honest. I think it was just, um, uh, if it was like uh, progress progressing. Uh, it's a progressive illness. And I think um, it contributed, definitely, but it wasn't the main factor. Um, you know, I was always kind of up for having a drink, having a spliff or, or whatever it may be. And then it, it kind of, when it when you cross that invisible line, I, I, is what I say um, uh, to people, um, there is no going back. So like you can't just use moderately. You end up using just how you would always use, which was, you know, in the end daily. So it's, you've either got to do you either do it or you give it up completely no mind-altering substances so you know that means no sip of alcohol no red wine with your dinner um no little split for your mates like it all leads back to absolute hell um and um it's uh it's it's dangerous
0: yeah of course um i wonder if you know, feel free not to answer this, but I wonder if you could give us a picture, give the audience a picture of of what that addiction was like at its worst, and how it would affect you and your relationships on a day to day level, but also your career. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's um, um, it's a dark place. It's it's very lonely. Um, you you'd sell anything, do anything for that. That, that kind of fix, hit, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's something that you can't sometimes even get out of bed unless you've, you've, you've got it um, because it takes over your whole world and it comes before anything. And it's so powerful that it's scary and, and it's a ripple effect because it obviously affects everyone around you and uh, it becomes uh, unmanage. my life becomes unmanageable. Um, and then obviously inevitably with the career no one wants someone to turn up you know um, drunk or, or high um, and did that happen Paul? no never never happened because I would just not go in that was that was even worse because well, I don't know if it was even worse but I used to weigh it up and I used to think right is it better to go in like this where I'm going to look at state and everyone's going to see me or is it just better just to phone in sick And I always chose the latter because I didn't want anyone to see me like that. You know, I couldn't even look at myself, let alone go on a a set and, you know, kind of uh, have be paranoid because everyone's going, oh my God, have you seen Paul? You know, like fucking hell.
0: And in reality, do you think when you would phone in sick, presumably on various productions and stuff, do you think in reality those people knew what, that meant in terms of your life
1: i don't know but yeah probably um i i i, I really don't know i mean the, the worst thing about it was it wasn't that i was enjoying myself i was actually in a really dark place self-harming um you know uh, psychosis um uh, just just a really really needing help and too scared too much pride too much you know probably ego or whatever you want to call it, to say, I need help. And, and now I've learned, you know, it's taken long enough to say, you know, I, I, I'm not well, I need some help. And I, I think that's the most important thing is is to ask for help. And, you know, I'm, I'm not good at it, I've got to admit, I find it really hard. But it's so important. I mean, you know, I always say, look at Caroline, you know, flat sheet, she never got the chance to really ask for help um and she was struggling obviously yeah
0: we've um obviously the subject of caroline's come up a few times um since her terrible terrible tragic death um it's it's really fascinating talking to someone who's you know been there and and understood it and you've talked openly about having been to rehab is it 17 times 20 20 times now so what is what is it then you know like you said the hardest thing is is getting to the point where you admit you need help, which I presume happened before the first time you went to rehab, but you know, how easy is it, I guess, each time to, to kind of keep having to find the strength to go back to rehab and start that process
1: all over again? So painful. And, um, you know, I'm not proud of that number. Um, but that was the amount of times that if I wouldn't have gone, I wouldn't be here today.
0: Mate, sorry to interrupt. I think, I think you should be proud of that number though. I think, I think it would be so easy to, you know, after the first time, say, well, that didn't work, or I've relapsed, or whatever, and never go again, and therefore get yourself into a, a spiral. I I would be proud of, of of having the strength to keep going back. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I it, it, I, I mean, thanks to my parents as well for pushing me to, or or not even pushing me to go, but but kind of um, noticing uh, the, the the times when. It was critical and saying to me, you you need to go somewhere, don't you? And those words, oh my God, every time I heard those words, I always knew they were right. But I, I remember saying the last time, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm not going. No way would I go and do another one. You know, because it's like, oh my God, are you joking? I couldn't do that again. Because it's not easy. It's a really hard thing to do. You're locked up. It's like going to prison and you're just locked away from everyone and everything and you're surrounded by strangers who are all sick as well mm. and it's just like um a, a really tough thing to then you know you're on your own and suddenly in your little bedroom wherever you are and you realize fuck not again I'm not here no way and, and it's just the most upsetting thing and I remember last time it was just like oh no man how did I end up here again um, and I, you know, I just always pray that it, yeah, you know, it doesn't be like that anymore.
0: Yeah, and to, and to maybe to just give an idea to the audience of anyone who you know hasn't been through that, like, what is the length of time that you have to that you you tend to be there to to complete the process or to come out the other side or to feel strong enough to to come back into the into the outside world again?
1: Yeah, we call it on the out. Yeah, <laughs> I'll see you on the out. Because mm-hmm. it is, it's just like yeah, you're inside. A, uh, usually a minimum, minimum, uh, really a month or six weeks. But I, I've, I've done nearly a year once. Like you know, well, I mean, yeah, about nine months. So like, you, you, um, you go to a second stage after your first six weeks or first month. Then you do a couple of months there, and then you go to the third stage, which is where you're a little bit more integrated into um, into society, into the, the real world, and um, and then like yeah, um, that can you know be a good six months even. So like it just depends how far you want to take it, how much support you need. With, with, so you're like accountable. You go back and live there, but you can go out in the day or you do a few groups, uh, which is like group therapy or whatever. But then you don't have to be back home or back to the place until about eleven. Um, so you can go and do jobs and, like recently um, in January, I went to the priory not for addiction, for um for my for uh, I've got ADHD. I was diagnosed last year, and um, I uh, I I was my mental health was suffering in the way of like I trying to take too many things on and 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 not being able to handle, you know, my head as such and being stressed out, which then can cause me to then take something, and I didn't want that to happen, and I could feel it coming on, so um, I went to the Priory, and, and um, I was on the general ward, which is like all people that have got either depression, or, mm-hmm. or ADHD, or, 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 or anxiety, or suicidal, and this, that, and the other, and, and it's some serious, serious stuff. And for me it was I was just used to being around a load of addicts, but these weren't addicts these were proper proper mental health sufferers um, and you know it was the first time to really have a look at that stuff and, and, and be learn to be more uh, like you have assertive uh, assertiveness classes or you have um, um, uh, what was it called yeah so like there'd be art therapy but there'd also be creative writing or there'd be um, schema. And mm-hmm. schema schema is um things where basically uh, they were they were like your schema is through traumas so it's all about taking you back to childhood and 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 w- what it was that built all these schemas and one could be um you know uh, uh, a situation with bullying one could be with uh, your your dad wasn't around didn't really sure. pay you much pay you much attention one could be abuse one could be you know all these they're called schemas and they all pile up and pile up and you don't know that they're actually affecting you today because all, all I've done is, is bottle them up and put them in the back of my head but sometimes they can be triggered and come to the foreground and when that happens um it, it's it's a really uh um you know tense situation and and um Quite a, quite a big deal and, and my way was to medicate was to numb those feelings to shut them up and say right get back to the yeah to the back again you know and and, and lock yourself in that box but the thing is it's always going to be there until you actually talk about it and deal with it and then you can clear it but that takes time and that takes a lot of that's why you have to be in a place for a while and then carry on group uh, carry on with your therapist or your um, psychiatrist or whatever it may be afterwards, um, and, and 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 doing um, um, trauma therapy and traumas. It's it's uh, you know I have PTSD. You know I was attacked. I was I was mugged. I was robbed. I was uh, you know I've been beaten up. I've been yeah you know, all these things bullied. All of them are traumas. And um, they're the proper, you know. And you don't think they are. You, you think oh, I saw right. Fine. It was only like you know. I need some guys that put me in hospital or whatever. But mm. that's a really big fucking deal. And it's, it's state obviously stayed with me. You know, I even had a trauma from, you know, um, uh, swearing at the Christmas lights in Preston, you know, and losing my job at uh, Panto Job. That was a trauma. For
0: yeah, I, I read about that. That was, uh, you know, just kind of seen as a... Uh... Kind of something entertaining for the um for the for the press, but but actually, but yeah, and actually, they killed me. They yeah. they
1: ruined me. Yeah, and and that stayed with me, and that 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 really put me in a very serious dark hole. And I I I used a lot on top on on the back of that, and 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 I could have yeah I could have died through that, and that's the press. That is what the press did, you know um, you know they they ruined me because because I had a slip of the tongue and and said. You know, I didn't even say anything. I just said make some motherfucking noise to a crowd, you know, which was trying to get hyped up by the radio DJ. But yeah. you know, you know, obviously, yeah, I shouldn't have sworn, but they didn't have to. You know, don't realize that the depths of what that did to me for years. Um, it ruined me.
0: Hi guys, thanks so much for listening to part one of this almost brutally honest interview with Paul Danan uh, I think he's an amazing guest. Just shoots from the hip, speaks from the heart and um, please do keep listening to part two of this episode of Almost Famous as Paul goes on to talk about uh, more of the stuff that he finds has affected his career and uh, using drugs and all of the other things in his life that he's incredibly honest about in an attempt to improve things from a mental health point of view and also some... Uh, slightly uh, more positive, uh, slightly more fun uh, questions that I ask him on things that I'd researched about his career, uh, where he gives some hilarious answers to. So please do go over and download uh, episode two and have a listen. Thanks a lot.